See, our actions will always be in direct proportion to our relationship with Jesus, always. And the ultimate question, ultimately, is not do you know Jesus, although that's a good question, but the ultimate question is does Jesus know you? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Oh, Father, we come before you now, and oh, God, as we open your word, word of God, speak. Fall down like rain. I pray that the Holy Spirit would reign in this place today. That our hearts would be illuminated. That our hearts would be transformed. That our minds would be renewed. Oh God, do the work and do it now. Help me to decrease while you increase, oh God. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Philemon chapter 1. Philemon, there's only one chapter. Uh, Turn there right now, if you would. Uh, Here, continue our study in the short letter of Philemon, looking at verses 4 through 7 today. So I pray that you're in the New Testament. If you're in the New Testament, you're somewhat close. That's great news. Philemon, looking at verses 4 through 7. And let's take a look at this letter today, just short 25-verse letter that is so potent, that is so powerful, uh, right after Titus and uh, right before Hebrews. And if you can find that, you'll land right on Philemon. And so as we prepare our hearts here today, I pray that even right now as we are turning to this great text, I pray that our hearts will be prepared. I pray that as we look to exalt the Word and lift high the name of Jesus, I pray that because we believe in the preeminence of the Word of God, I pray that it will go forth with power today, that our hearts will be renewed, our minds will be renewed in such a way, I pray today, that we'll never be the same again. Here in Philemon, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes when he says this, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. Don't miss that. Very important. Verse 5, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now look at verse 6. That the sharing of your faith may become effective. Critical word there. By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. Now look lastly at verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. What a wonderful, wonderful few verses that I pray will stir. I pray our hearts will be shaken I pray that God will work in such a powerful way as we unpack these together, these great verses. And the sermon series that you have to remember the title of to keep this all in context is just simply the pursuit of interceding for others. See, there's intentionality in pursuing the intercession for others. 
you don't do it haphazardly, and you don't stumble into it by accident. There's a pursuit to intentionally intercede for others. Now, today's message title is simply this, and that is thankfulness and prayer modeled. Thankfulness and prayer modeled. You got to remember, as Paul is writing this, that he's this author of this great little letter. It's the only private letter we have from Paul. He wrote these prison epistles of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and yes, Philemon. And we got to remember, it's probably somewhere around 60 AD that he's writing and penning this epistle. And as he writes this letter, we have to remember that as he launches out of the gate, out of the chute in verse 1 that we studied previously, we saw that Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's in prison in Rome, but he's not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That the gospel has radically transformed his life, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the gospel goes forth. He writes there in those first few verses when he says to Philemon, and my beloved friend, fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. As the church was meeting the house, Paul's in prison. He's more than a thousand miles away, and he's sending this letter as he's pursuing the intentional intercession of someone else. And he's doing this with grace and mercy and love and hope, but with great intentionality. And today we're seeing that the thankfulness and the prayer of Paul towards those that are ministering and towards those that minister towards others, he is thankful in that and he's prayerful in that. Because it's all about grace, isn't it? It's all about God's grace, God's peace. And it's only found in God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And as Paul takes this concept of verses 1 through 3, he now springboards with great ferociousness as the launching pad of the grace and the peace that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He then makes this bold, throwing down proclamation. And it's also a life-giving statement. When he says, I thank my God, verse 4, making mention of you always, don't miss that, in my prayers. See, Paul is thankful. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his storm, in the midst of injustice from a human standpoint, Paul is still thanking God. He is modeling that thankfulness and gratitude has nothing to do with your circumstances, It has everything to do with who you trust in. See, with who you trust in when it's Jesus Christ, when your hope is built on nothing less, you will stand on the solid rock of Him and Him alone. If you're looking for something in this life to hold you up, if you're looking for something in this life to give you peace, if you're looking for something in this life to give you joy and contentment and identity, Make sure that what you're pursuing is Jesus alone because everything else will let you down. And Paul says, I thank my God. He's thankful. He is literally grateful. 
Paul is expressing this great, great gratitude. And every time I read it, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. Man, I bellyache whenever there's three drops of rain. I bellyache when I have two cars in front of me at the stoplight. I bellyache over so many things that have no merit to be ungrateful for. And here Paul is in prison for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's looking away from self, interceding for someone else. And oh, by the way, he says, I'm thankful for you. See, a thankful heart, regardless of your circumstances, produces a truly grateful heart. And what is he doing in this thankful gratefulness? Well, he's taking action in this because he says it right here that I'm making mention of you always, always in my prayers. What is praying? Is praying just a wish list to God? A one-way street? Chop, 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 God. What are you doing? I don't hear you. I thought if you really loved me, you'd give me what I want. Is that prayer? Is that what we do? We just use God as the vending machine, the spiritual vending machine. Come on, God. I'm pushing G9, G9. I'm trying to get the Cheetos, and they're not coming out. What's up, God? Have you lost your power? Are you real? Is this prayer? Of course it's not. It's the world's definition of prayer. And many times it's even the church's definition of prayer. Well, let's strong arm God and let's use him for our benefit. Let's abuse God and make sure that we take advantage of him. Here, God, here's the list. Make it happen and do it now. Is that prayer? No. Prayer is communication with the God of the Bible. It's communication. It is a two-way street. But as one man said, prayer is a two-way street, but it's primarily one where he's doing the talking and we're doing the listening. Think about that. Prayer is not asking God to conform to our will. Prayer is ultimately asking God to conform us to his will. That we begin to pray nevertheless prayers. That you want to intercede for someone today. If you really want to intercede for that family member, that co-worker, that person at church, that person on your team, if you really want to intercede for them, you are going to have to learn to pray Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless prayers. God, this is what I want, comma, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That's the point of prayer. Paul is in prison. And in spite of him being in prison... God is working in the midst of his imprisonment to A, show off God's glory, B, refine Paul, C, use Paul for such a time as this to redeem the time so that he intercedes for someone else in the midst of their difficulty. And as they see Paul and his difficulty, what do we know by that? Well, we know this from Scripture, that the God of all comfort who comforts you in your trial, why? So you, in turn, can go be a witness, a lighthouse, a beacon, and a billboard to go comfort someone else in their trial and oh by the way and the whole process show off the gospel show off its glory show off its power prayer 
Paul is thankful. He's making mention always, always in his prayers. Andrew Murray said it like this. Prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. And God's voice in response to mine is its most essential part. Did you catch that? God's response, God's will, God's direction in response to mine is the most essential part. Write down key number one in your notes. I pray you have your notes in front of you. And write this down. Write this down now. Key number one. If I am to intercede for others, I must be thankful and pray for them. Key number one. If I am to intercede for others, I must be thankful and pray for them. Think about this, church family. Isn't it insanely difficult to not care about the person that you thank God for and that you pray for? No matter how much you don't want to go down this path. Because, man, you are bitter, you are unforgiving, you are resentful towards X person. It's insanely difficult, insanely, to not care about the person that you're thankful for that you are praying for, even that person that's harmed you, and you pray, God, I want to thank you for that person in the midst of the pain of my life they've caused me. I see your grace. I see your mercy because of the great pain I caused you, God. And as you forgave me and you freed me and you extended mercy and love and hope and redemption, oh, thank you, God, that in the midst of my pain, I can extend the same to that person. Just try it if you don't believe it. Think about that person right now who you don't particularly care for. And begin over the next 30 days to pray for them. To thank God for them. You do that day after day, week after week. And it will change your heart, your perspective, your outlook towards that person. And oh, by the way, don't be thankful for the people that are just singing your praises. Don't just be thankful for the people that are sending you fan mail, that are liking all your posts, that are following you, that are telling you how great you are. Don't just be thankful for them. Thank God and pray for your enemies. When you thank God for your enemies, when you pray for your enemies, it's your heart that's going to get changed. What is practical thankfulness? That's a unique thought, isn't it? Well, just simply ask God who He wants you to thank today. And then either verbally or with a thank you note, thank them. That's practical thankfulness. But the second part we got to understand is this in interceding through prayer is that I don't know about you, but I believe there's power in prayer. Amen? 
I'll never forget about the illustration that I heard many years ago, but there was a church family. They had a person in their church. They were praying for that person. They had cancer. They kept praying and they kept praying. They kept believing. They kept believing. By the way, this is not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I believe that God does at times do miracles in our lives through the power of prayer as He heals from disease, as He heals marriages, as He heals broken relationships, as He heals, as He heals, And in this instance, that church family prayed and they prayed and they shook the gates of heaven. They shook the foundation of their hearts. They were pounding, pounding, pounding on the door of heaven. And they prayed and they prayed. And the person who had cancer went back to the doctor. They went back to the doctor to get the new report, to get the new scans. And as they waited there in the lobby and they waited and they expected with great hope, here's what happened. They saw the doctor come running down the hallway, running down the hallway with the scans in his hands. And this was all he said when he came upon the family. He looked at them, he held up the scans, and he simply said this, tell me about your Jesus. Does God always work in that fashion? No. But can God, can God work in that fashion? Absolutely. He's the God of the miracle of yesterday, and I believe He's the God of the miracle today and of the miracle tomorrow, if it be His will. See, my vision for our church family is this, that when a crisis hits in our community... I pray that we become so passionate in prayer, so fervent in prayer, that when a crisis hits, that we take all of the gappers, all of you that are going to stand in the gap on behalf of the community, and we pray, and we get on our face, and we get on our knees, and we begin to pound on the door of heaven. I pray that when a crisis hits, that after the first responders are called, I pray the next call that is made is to our church. You say, why would you want that to happen? Because we want people to come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. And when people in the community begin to understand that when we pray at this church, that mountains get moved, it's going to shake the community all for the praise of God's glory. A mighty move of God cannot be manufactured in the flesh. It's all about prayer. Think about Philippians chapter 4. Write this down. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. You know these verses, but let me give these to you again. Paul, to the church in Philippi, gives this great command, not a suggestion, and he says this, be anxious for what? Nothing. But in everything, in everything, by prayer, there it is, and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And here's the glorious end note on this text, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. 
How does anyone in their right mind get to the point in this broken earthly life that is so difficult, that can be so lousy at times, so disappointing, so heartbreaking? How do you get to the point where you can shout from the mountaintop, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, no matter whether it's good or bad, up or down, but in everything, by prayer, by constant communication to God, where we present to Him, but we do a whole lot of listening on the back end, and supplication with thanksgiving, how do you get to that point? How does Paul get to this point? He's writing these epistles, these prison epistles, and he's saying, be thankful. Don't be anxious. Trust God. How do you get to that point? Here's how you get to the point. You get to the point in your life where you can pray those prayers when you believe, when you believe without a shadow of a doubt that what you are praying and who you're praying to, God, the great God of the Bible, that He is true, that His promises are true, that He is real, that our God is able, that our God is capable, and even if He doesn't go our way, we're still going His way. That's how you pray those prayers. Because we're going to have our hearts guarded and our minds as well. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 5 here of Philemon. Paul goes on and says this, Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I love this. Hearing, what's that mean? It's been reported. See, it's been reported back to Paul. Uh, He didn't have cell phones. He couldn't Instagram, couldn't tweet. Not a whole lot of texting going on back in that day. But yet he's hearing. He's hearing from over a thousand miles away these reports. He's hearing of their love and their faith. Their love, this agape, this agape, this selfless love. This love that loves in spite of, not loving because of. He's hearing about this. He's hearing about their faith. This confidence, this belief, this assurance and fidelity in Christ and His Word. That salvation is in Christ alone. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is hearing these reports. This faith toward the Lord Jesus and, don't miss this, and toward the saints. Jesus first, then fellow believers. See, it's not about religion. It really is about a relationship. And that's more than a slogan on a t-shirt or a mug. It's real. God's not looking for your religiosity. He's not looking for a bunch of do's and don'ts. He's looking for a heart transformation. Because when your heart is transformed, you will begin to obey Him. When your heart is radically rocked, you will begin to surrender to Him. And God is not looking for some sort of sacrifice, some tip in the offering plate, a couple times a month that you visit him, so to speak, and drop in. He's not looking that you can do all the good things, although those are good things, of being at church and and joining this and joining that and, and serving here. Those are good things. We want you to do all those things. But the reality is this, that's not ultimately what God is looking for. He's looking for a transformed heart. Because when the heart gets transformed, the service and the acts of obedience will follow, not the other way around. 
And that's why key number two, write it down in your notes, key number two. If I am to intercede for others, I must receive Christ's love vertically first. Don't miss that. If I am to intercede for others, I must receive Christ's love vertically first. See, it's impossible, church family. It's impossible to give away that which you yourself do not possess. If you're trying to give away a transformed heart and a gospel message, and you yourself, your heart has not been transformed, that you do not truly believe in the gospel, you've never been radically rocked by the gospel, it's going to be really tough sledding to give that away. See, our actions will always be in direct proportion to our relationship with Jesus. Always. And the ultimate question, ultimately, is not do you know Jesus, although that's a good question, but the ultimate question is does Jesus know you? Because we lie to ourselves more than anyone lies to ourselves. And so if someone looks at me and looks at you and says, do you know Jesus? If I'm living in deception, if you're living in deception, you could say yes, but maybe the truth is you're not. The real question is, does Jesus know me? Does Jesus know you? Think about Romans 1, 8. Romans 1, 8. I think this goes along beautifully with Paul as he's writing in Philemon and he's thankful and he's grateful and he loves to hear these reports. These reports are spreading. They're spreading. And for someone who's a pastor, for an evangelist, for a Bible teacher, when you are discipling people and you are hearing reports from far off of their love and their mercy towards one another, towards Jesus, towards the saints, oh, it's so refreshing. It's so encouraging. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. In Romans 1.8, here Paul writes in this text, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Here he is being thankful again. Why? Here it is. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. This is so glorious. This is so awesome. That the people who he's teaching, the people who he's pouring into, the people that he's dying empty into, that he's hearing reports. How about me? How about you? For those that are discipling us, are they hearing reports all over of how God is using our lives as a gospel witness? As God is using our lives through missionary sacrifice in our Jerusalem, and our Judea, and our Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth? Is that you? Is that me? I pray today that it is. Because if we're really going to intercede for others, if we're going to pursue intercession for others, we must be thankful. We must model prayer. These are two non-negotiables. We have to have them in our lives. 
Look at verse 6 here as we journey on the back side of this text. Verse 6, Paul continues as he's pouring in and complimenting Philemon. He says that the sharing of your faith may become, don't miss this, effective. How? By the acknowledgement, the embracing the truth of every good thing which is in you in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. That the sharing of your faith, you see this? This sharing is that word koinonia. There's great fellowship going on here. There's sharing. It means much more than sharing though. However, there's a generosity here. There's a partnership, a intimacy, a transparency, a vulnerability in doing life together. I know it's a phrase that gets overused, but it is so true. We are designed for community. Community with God vertically first. And yes, community horizontally with one another secondly. It's the image of the cross. The vertical beam and then the horizontal beam. And what does Paul say about this relationship of this koinonia? That the sharing of your faith, that your in community, that yes, you are doing life together and you're sharing the faith. You are sharing it with one another, but you're also having gospel conversations. That we're opening our mouths and we are participating in the great commission, not the great suggestion. That we have power that's been enabled to us by the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-8. That we will go and be witnesses. That we will take it with such urgency and yet with such diligence And such seriousness that all authority has been given to Christ. And lo, He's going to be with us, even the end of the age, to accomplish the mission. The sharing of our faith may become what? Effective. Effective means what? It means active. It means powerful. See, you can be successful and not be effective. Oh, yes, you can. You can be successful in this world and not be powerful, effective, active. You can have great success and you can destroy people in your way. You're not being effective. You can have great success and be selfish. You can have great success and be me-centered. You can have great success and have all the things of this life and be utterly empty and miserable. But when you're effective, there is power going on. You are touching people in such a way, reaching people in such a way, communicating with people in such a way, impacting lives for the glory of God in such a way that earthly success will never purchase nor bring you what you're truly looking for. And how is this effective? How do we see that? By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. By the acknowledgement. See, it all starts with Jesus. So pivotal, so mission critical in your life today. Everything that is effective is in Christ Jesus. Think about this. By the acknowledgement of Jesus. He's the bedrock. He's our foundation. He's the launching pad for the sharing of the faith. He's the point of the sharing of the faith. He's the gospel. 
If people ask you, if they ask me, if they say, what is the gospel? You could just simply say, Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's preparing the generous Philemon to share his faith one more time through forgiving Onesimus, and this will powerfully be effective and will give testimony of Christ in us the hope of glory. Don't miss that. Paul is preparing. He's preparing this generous Philemon to share his faith one more time through forgiving Onesimus, as we're going to learn here. And this will powerfully and effectively give testimony of Christ in him and Christ in us when we share who is our hope of glory. See, the reality is we must preach to ourselves that the end goal is not to gather a bunch of people in a room but to make disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. We're not called to create church attenders. We're called to create disciples. It's not the great suggestion. It really is the great commission. Oh, by the way, it's not the great omission either. See, that's why key number three, write it down. Key number three, if I am to intercede for others, I must live missionally. If I'm to intercede for others, I must live missionally. What is the greatest thing you can share? What is it? Well, it's your faith in Christ. Yes, towards unbelievers, but also to fellow believers as we extend forgiveness. We should generously extend forgiveness and mercy and grace and hope, just not to unbelievers, but yes, to those in the household of the faith. Because missionally simply means this, to be on an intentional mission to daily share your faith. As we are missional, we are on a daily intentional mission to share our faith, to share the gospel. That's what missional means, to go out and share the good news. So who is your one? Who is your one? Do you have one? Is there one person, just one, that you can think of right now that you need to be missional towards to share the good news of the gospel, to share the hope of the gospel? And to even take it further to be thankful for, to pray for, to intercede for. Because the reality is this, when you truly know your why, you will reach your one. When you truly know your why... You will reach your one. Think again about Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Write it down. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, I love this, all authority, not some, but all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things. Teaching them to obey. And lo, I will be with you. How often? Always. Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Jesus is with us on the front end and on the back end and everywhere in between. When God calls you through Jesus Christ the Lord to a mission in your life, He always equips you and gives you the strength to accomplish the mission. 
Always. And so perhaps your mission today is to intercede for someone. Perhaps your mission today is to be thankful for someone. Perhaps your mission today is to pray for someone. Well, think about what this concept did to Paul in his writing. Because verse 7 so beautifully puts a bow and a ribbon on this text when he writes, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Think about this. For we have great consolation, great joy in your love. Great joy, graciousness, and thankfulness. Consolation. It's that comfort and solace in your love. There's that agape again, the agape. Do you see the message that Paul is communicating? Why? Why? Why is Paul communicating this? Because the hearts, the seat of the human feelings of the saints have been, past tense, previously acts or acted upon. They've been refreshed by you. He's communicating his thankfulness and his love towards Philemon. And he's saying, oh, by the way, I want to show my appreciation to you for what you have done. And not only what you've done, but how you've refreshed. You've given rest to. What a great visual this is here. When you look at this word that he's refreshed, that he has been refreshed, that he has been refreshing, it's literally the visual of an army that is at rest. An oasis in a dry and weary land. See, Paul is saying, thank you. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you always. Paul is showing great gratitude and appreciation. And you and I must be doing the same. If we're really going to intercede and stand in the gap for that person today, we have to be these people. That's why key number four, write it down. Key number four. If I am to intercede for others, I must seek to refresh them. Seems pretty simple. Let me say that again. Key number four. If I am to intercede for others, I must seek to refresh them. See, begin with the end in mind and ask yourself, when people are leaving my presence, a meeting, a conversation, whatever it may be, a ball game, are they refreshed? Or are they encouraged? Are they inspired to surrender more and more to Jesus? When they leave you, when they leave me, when they leave your presence, when they leave my presence, are they inspired to do these things? Or the reality, perhaps, is when they leave our presence, are they discouraged and exhausted? Do they want to quit? Do they want to go kick the dog and they want to have a dog? I mean, what do they want to do? Make a note, because a selfless person is always a refreshing person. A selfless person is always a refreshing person. Cliff notes, cliff notes, cliff notes. Think about this, church. The best way that you can refresh someone is for you to be in the Word and in fervent prayer because what's going on inside of you will eventually come out of you. Think about this. 
The best way that you could truly refresh someone else is to be in the Word, to be in fervent prayer, communicating vertically to God, to be thankful for other people, because the reality is this, what's going on inside of you, what you're feeding your mind with and your heart with, what's going on inside of you will eventually come out of you. And please, please, resist the temptation. Resist it to play spiritual hot potato. We want to blame everybody else, right? We live in a blame-shifting society. It's always everyone else's fault. You know, I was hurt. I was wounded. That may be true, and I'm really sorry for that if that's the case. But you and I are always responsible for our actions. We can't blame everyone else for what they did to us. That may be horrible. It may even be demonic what happened to us. But we must take ownership and responsibility for how we behave, how we act. Think about Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Write that down. Jesus speaking here and he says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Do you want rest today? Do you want peace? Do you want joy? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Oh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How about you today? How about you? What is God asking you to do today? Are you living in a world where it's all about you and your agenda and your schedule? Or have you gotten to the point where I surrender all is just not a song, but it's the mantra for your life? Think about this takeaway question here. The takeaway question for you today as you leave is simply, what am I doing today that's requiring great faith in God? I mean, think about that. What am I doing today? Ask yourself this. What am I doing today that's requiring great faith in God? Don't listen to your heart. It's deceitful and wicked. Don't listen to your emotions. They will betray you every time. Listen to the voice of truth. His name is Jesus. If you're anchored to your heart, if you're anchored to your emotions, you will betray yourself. That's why you need substance. That's why I need substance. We need the fidelity and the truthfulness of the glorious written word of God to be the anchor to our souls, to be the salve to our aching hearts, our hurting minds, our hurting lives. We need the truth of Scripture. Anchor yourself to truth. And the only truth is the word of God. So what is the action step? The action step is simply this. Step out in faith today and watch God work. Without hesitation, give God right now whatever He wants from you. Give it to Him. Don't keep hanging on to it. That's idolatry. Give God today what He wants from you. God's not going to reveal what He has for you until you first surrender to Him what He wants from you. Maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but His big ask of you today is to simply become others-focused. Maybe that's where you are today. And you need to begin praying for those people and interceding for those people and being thankful for those people. Maybe that's His big ask. Or perhaps maybe you've never given your life to the Lord and His big ask of you today is to surrender totally. 
total unwavering obedience, lay everything on the altar today. You can't give your life totally away to God today and lose it. It's impossible. But the greatest loss you will experience in your life is if you keep your life and never give it to the Lord. That will be the biggest loss in your life. The greatest thing you can do right now for your family, for you, is to surrender everything to Jesus. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Oh, church family, please understand this today. Brokenness leads to surrender. Surrender leads to obedience. And obedience leads to contentment and the joy of the Lord as you intercede for others, as you're thankful for them, as you're praying for them, as you stand in the gap for them. Just not the people that are sending you all your fan mail. Oh, especially for those, especially, especially for those who hate you. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.